Raise your hand if you are married. Raise your hand if someday you might be married. This all applies to us as we're looking at the topic of marriage. From the beginning, we saw last week the Genesis from the creation. God said it was good, and God said it was good, and God said it was good, and God said it was very good, and then he says it is not good. And the one thing he said that it was not good, he said that man should not live alone. On last week, we looked at the topic of marriage and and that God had been the one to institute it, to define it, and to see the purposes for which marriage was created. Look at Genesis 2.24 on the screen behind me. Let's read this together. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Really, that is a foundational verse and encourage you to put that to memory and remembering that it was in the Genesis account of God's creation that we see the definition and the, the, the proclamation of what marriage would be. Look on the screen at paragraph 3 in the confession and we see Several things tonight. Number one, uh, sorry, paragraph three. It is lawful for all sorts of people to marry who are able with judgment to give their consent. Yet it is the duty of Christians to marry in the Lord. And therefore, such as professed the true religion should not marry with infidels or idolaters. Neither should, as are godly, be unequally yoked by marrying with such as are wicked in their life or maintain damnable heresy. We see here, number one, the, the, the answer of the question of who can marry? All sorts of people. And what a blessing that is. That there's not just one kind of people that can marry. And that it's a blessing and, oft, and it is the, the, the normative pattern. We see that singleness is a gift from God. That the normative pattern is marriage. And the blessing of that. And that all sorts of people can be married. Hebrews 13 verse 4. Marriage is honorable among what? All. And what a great blessing this is to see this. And, and to, to think of how sometimes the, the confessions are written to combat a false view. And the false view of the priest to take the celibacy uh, commitment. We see the blessing of marriage spoken about. It is honorable among all. Paul writing to Timothy actually says in, in uh, 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 3, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Boy, I'm glad I wasn't speaking this morning. I would have been hypocrisy. There we go. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Now notice, here we talk about all this heresy, heresy. And what is what included in this? Forbidding to marry. 
That Paul says to Timothy, there will be a time when there are people forbidding the marriage. And really we see how it continues. And commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Just as there would be forbidding of foods that God said are clean and God created as good, God created marriage and man would say, don't be married. And more and more today we hear the people say, first of all, why be married? But also, don't be married. Live free. Live however you want. And all of it is an affront to how God has created marriage. But notice there is a qualification there of who can marry. It says, who are able with judgment to give their consent. That there is a knowledge that must be able to be there to to consent to it. You think of the the statement that is often said in kind of the the historical or the traditional vows. As much as these two people have consented to holy wedlock. You've heard pastors say that. And the idea is there's a consension that happens that marriage is not a something that is to be forced upon a person, but it is by consent and it is by all sorts of people. But then the question is, whom can a Christian marry? Notice how the confession says, yet it is the duty of Christians. Duty is a four letter word. And often we think of it as a cuss word, as something that is so negative, yet duty is a beautiful thing throughout Scripture to see the idea of compulsion of what God has designed we want to do. But notice there is a scope. There is a limiting of who a Christian is to marry, and it is one who is to marry, notice that, in the Lord. Those professing true religion, not wicked idolaters or heretics. But the, the application of this is then, if I am going to be interested in consenting into marriage, I need to, before we even begin this process, to see if a person is of the, the title of in the Lord, whether they are a follower of Christ or not. We begin to... Then here, kick back. Well, why would God not want me to be happy? But the lie that we buy there is that God's ways are not the way to find the most happiness. I've been challenged in recent days how often we put law and gospel at odds with one another. Gospel is good, law is bad. But yet when we understand that God has created his law for us to find the beauty of life, how to find blessing from him, we begin to have our minds shifted from the restrictiveness of the law, but the beauty of the law to find what God has created and he has created it good. And God has called us To bind ourselves as one flesh with someone who is in Christ. Though the direct context of 2 Corinthians 6 is not marriage, we see the principle there. 
Look at it on the screen, verses 14 and 15. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And those are questions that we know the answer. Nothing. They have nothing to do with one another. Why would a Christian seek to become one flesh with one who is an enemy with Christ. Now we understand that sometimes there is in the grace of God a, a salvation that takes place. But when two people were, un, uh, were unbelievers when they married and one comes to faith in Christ. And we see that, that God says, hey, stay in that. Seek to be at peace with that unbelieving spouse. But we see the overarching principle that marriage for a believer should be one of marrying another believer. Really, this is the same principle as God called the nation Israel to not marry outside of Israel. The principle there is we are not physical Israel, but we are a spiritual Israel. We are the true Israel of God, as Galatians 5 says. Nehemiah, we see the instruction to not take foreign wives. But even before that, in Deuteronomy 7, God instructs the, the people. Uh, Deuteronomy, Dudo, uh, the, the retelling or the second time of the law. Because they're about to enter into the promised land and God is saying, hey, let's have a little refresher course on what I'm calling you to do. And he says in Deuteronomy 7, Verses 1 to 4, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, no show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. And notice, God himself gives the explanation of why. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. While we are not the nation Israel, we do recognize that this principle is there. Why would we bind ourselves to someone that will cause us tension to pull us and to tempt us to turn away from the Lord? Remember the call of Christ, one author says, deny yourself, take up a cross and follow me. How can you expect to follow a master who demands absolute allegiance if you choose to become one flesh with a person who disregards his claims? I hear many try to say, well, this isn't that important because love is the most important thing. It's a lie we buy to say that we know better than God. And instead of looking at the restrictiveness, see the beauty by which when we live our lives according to his word, that is the place where we are in the place of blessing. It's not a guarantee of blessing. doesn't mean that life's going to be all peachy. But we have the greatest hope of his blessing there. Paragraph four. 
Now, honestly, there's a word in here that I don't even know how to pronounce. So I will do my best. Marriage ought not to be within the degrees of consanguinity or affinity forbidden in the word, nor can such incestuous marriages ever be made lawful by any law of man or consent of parties so as those persons may live together as man and wife. Again, I had to look up what the definition of that consanguinity is. And we see that the Christian cannot marry, and there's two areas here. And we see these come from Leviticus chapter 18. The principle throughout the Jewish mindset is intimacy equals marriage. In our society, that does not. But from the the understanding, the historical context, we understand that intimacy equals marriage. And God is the one who defines what marriage is, not man. He says what an acceptable marriage is and what it is not. I want us to just look at the first few verses of Leviticus 18, how it begins. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. God is laying down his authority to speak. And then in Leviticus 18, he continues to then say, here is what you're not, uh, here's the bounds of marriage. This person and this person are not to marry. This person and this person are not to marry. And there's two kind of groups in there. A Christian or any person is not to marry those who are close relatives by blood. That is that term consanguinity. That we're not to marry a close relative by blood. We see this principle even in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 5.1 when Paul says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as if as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. We see in Leviticus 28, excuse me, Leviticus 18, where God forbids an incestuous marriage. And we might say, well, why is this a big deal? Because God said so. We need to take the things that God has said as important. In Leviticus 18, there's parts of it that kind of make us squirm and feel a little uncomfortable. Like, why all these definitions and why this and why that? And yet, it's in Leviticus 18, we see the definition that a man is not to lie with another man as with as a, who would a woman. We see the forbiddance of a homosexual marriage. For it is not marriage. It is an abomination, as Leviticus 18.22 says. But we see the forbidding of a, of a marriage to a close relative by blood. But God goes on to say that we are not to marry even a close relative by marriage. 
That's that term we see in the confession, the, the consanguinity and affinity. That we're not to marry even just not somebody who is related to us by blood, but who is related to us by marriage. And this is where, in our context, we say, well, this is kind of strange. Why do we need these definitions? What does Romans 1 say? They invented even all kinds of evil. We see these actually beginning to come more and more into our society. To that which one generation says is wicked, the next generation laughs at it, the next generation accepts it, and then the next fully embraces it. So sometimes we say, this isn't that big of a deal. Why do we need to talk about these awkward things? Just talk to an old person. And they'll help, help us see the things that once were said, no way would that ever be possible, now are celebrated in our society. And so we need to know not just the truths of God's word, but why. And again, we see that God is the one who defines all these things. This is not just an Old Testament con- concept, but John the Baptist was beheaded because of this. Remember what he said to Herod in Mark six eighteen: It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Think about that. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. This is not a blood relation. It is a marriage relation. And John the Baptist was beheaded because of that truth. It's serious. And it's not something that we should just say, well, it's not that big of a deal. What God says is a big deal. We need to take as a big deal, even when it makes us a little uncomfortable. And yes, we recognize in that there is the the exception of the lever at marriage when a man in the Old Testament would have a wife, he dies without children, and God calls a brother to step in and to, to produce a lineage for that brother. But in all of this, we go back to the fact that God is the one who articulates what marriage is and what it is not. David, can you put paragraph four back up on the screen? Notice. In the middle of the paragraph, it says, nor can such incestuous marriages ever, notice, be made lawful by any law of man or consent of parties. Hmm. Doesn't that sound like today? Well, the law of our land is this is a marriage. Yet the confession in 1689 says, let us not think that just because a society and a government say something is acceptable, that God then says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter even what two people say. Well, we love one another. This should be marriage. We don't get to define. God is the one who defines. And let us go back to that principle of the good character of God to know that what he has created in the bounds which he has created is where we will find the most blessing does it mean it's the easiest no there are some of you here tonight who are single and you say I'm trying to find a spouse but I know that God has called me to find this type of a person and I'm not finding them I encourage you to cling to the goodness of our great God. 
I am not in your shoes, but I know our good and gracious God who provides good gifts for his children. But at the end of the day, no. Why do we need to define marriage? Because man wants to distort that which God has created. Man wants to attack the thing which shows the beauty of the body of Christ, how Christ loves the church. And even more so today than ever, we see that under attack. With conviction, may we continue to hold to the definition of how God defines marriage. And in our own marriages, as God allows, to pray that by his grace, they would be pictures to the world of what he has designed marriage to be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that your word is sufficient, that you've given us everything that we need for life and for godliness, that we may be competent, equipped for every good work in knowing your word. Lord, there are many issues today where your word is under attack, but marriage is clearly one of the big ones. Lord, we pray that you would give us strength, that you would give us endurance, that you would give us boldness to stand for your truth. You are the one who has created marriage. You are the one who has defined what it is and what it is not. But Lord, I pray most of all that you would protect our marriages, that we would be godly examples reflecting your glory to the beauty of what marriage was intended to be. Lord, forgive us for when we defame that, for when we give reasons for accusations of the world. Lord, help us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.